Hi, I'm Michelle, and I'm... Wait, am I the straight-laced psychotherapist? I thought I was going to be the unconventional hypnotherapist, and you were going to be the super serious trauma specialist. No, you were going to be the relationship expert. Like, love expert. And you're going to be the specialist who guides people with down-to-earth techniques for transmuting trauma? Yeah, yeah, that's me. Okay, good. I'll be the love expert. I mean, I am the love expert. I think we have this all sorted out. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, a therapist at Anchor Light, and this is Holding Ground. Today and every Monday, we've got a little bit of everything for you. Shall we? Yeah, let's do this. Hello to our listeners today, and hello, Laura. Good morning. How are you? I am doing good this morning. A beautiful sunny day in the Pacific Northwest. How yes, are you? I'm good. I'm good. So you know what, Laura, to start today, I kind of have a weird question for you. Okay, what's your question? So if you were feeling depressed or anxious, would you rather be around people who are depressed and anxious, or would you rather be surrounded by people who are feeling good and upbeat? That is a good question. (laughs) So, you know, I think... I bet I can answer that one right for now. Yeah, can you let (laughs) us know, Penny? Upbeat, let's do this. (laughs) Kick off depression, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I agree with that piece. I think two depressed, anxious people could really push each other off the ledge, so I think a little upbeat energy might be good. But you know what? I also think sometimes it's hard to be around really upbeat people when you're feeling down uh, because you want somebody who who can empathize with what you're feeling um, at the very least, even if they're not feeling the same way, but not minimize your feelings. Like, yeah, there's nothing to be depressed about. Get happy. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. definitely holding that space, right? Right. And sometimes if we're around upbeat people, that can be more difficult. So, yeah, it's probably kind of a mix, A little bit of a mix, yeah. So, you know, right now is a time when I would say people are feeling a little bit bummed out about Mm -hmm. what's going on. Would you agree? Uh, I would definitely agree, yes. So, yeah, everyone's pretty bummed out. And today on Holy Ground, we're going to talk about what the heck you're supposed to do when we have anxiety, depression, anger, and fear all around you. Yes. Um, So thank you, Michelle, for that wonderful question. And, again, my name is Laura Richer, and I'm the owner of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And today we'll be catching up with some of the research on what we might call the other pandemic, which is more to do, you know, we have the coronavirus that's affecting physical health, but we also have issues that have come up with this around our mental health. And so that is what me and Michelle like to talk about. Um, And we're going to try to find a way to keep this episode on depression a little upbeat. Yeah. And maybe (laughs) find a few things to laugh about along the way. So we're here live every Monday on KKNW 1150 AM Talk Radio, but if you miss any of our past episodes, you can check them out on places where podcasts are streamed, like iTunes and Podcast One, as well as at our website. Yes. So, Laura, back in mid-May, the U.S. Census Bureau released some numbers on what's happening with mental health. And since it was a Census Bureau, you know, they're pretty good at gathering information And it was sort of a first real definitive, trustworthy look at COVID-19 and how it's really impacting our mental health. Now, it was part of a larger survey, so it wasn't necessarily supposed to be about mental health. Um, As the Washington Post and many other newspapers reported around that time, and amongst these different questions about household and lifestyles were some questions that doctors used in trying to screen for depression. 
So they weren't simple. And I've had that screening at the doctor's office. Have you? I can't remember the questions. Oh, yeah. It's like seven questions. You know, are you feeling um, you're not really enjoying your normal activities? How are you sleeping? How are you eating? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so you want to say, no, I'm not depressed. Let's just move on here. Zero, zero, zero. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So it sounds like, though, in this in this survey, they weren't just asking people, are you depressed? Yes or no. They were asking more questions about to paint a, a full picture. Right, right. So it's much more open because I think a lot of Americans don't want to come out and say like, hey, they're depressed, right? There can be some shame around that, the stigma, right? If I have a mental health issue in some way. Well, and I also think a lot of times people don't know that they're depressed. Right. They know that they're feeling down, but they feel like, well, I just need to snap out of this or, mm-hmm. you know, I need to get it together. I need to try harder. And right. they don't realize that, that it's actually depression is what they're dealing with, not, not necessarily lack of motivation. Although that can be a sign of depression. Absolutely, yeah. right? So when we're lacking in motivation, there's things that we normally like to do or work or even getting out of bed, right? Not having that motivation to do it. So, you know, this again was a much more open survey. And one of the things they ask and what they usually ask on the depression screenings in the doctor's office is over the last seven days, how often you have you had little interest and pleasure doing things? And not all, but several days, more than half the days or nearly every day is kind of how they rank it. So I think we can all imagine what our answers might be back in March, April, May, um, when the quarantine and experience all these things for the first time in our lives. So even with something's open, it's really hard for people to adjust to our strange new world and our practice. And I'm sure other mental health providers, we're seeing an increase of anxiety and depression and chronic stress. So Yes. And so one thing we've mentioned this on previous episodes But so many people had the idea back in March, like, we're home. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. So I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm going to catch up on all my reading. I'm going to clean out my closets. I'm going to go on a diet. Like, and... And none of us did that. Instead, a lot of us were drinking a little more wine than usual, eating a few more pastries, (laughs) watching a lot of Netflix. I think we all watched a lot of Netflix. And that was for this very reason that like this, this depression, you know, not that everyone was experiencing depression, but we were in circumstances that we were completely unfamiliar with that were very uncertain and very scary. And that drains you. Yeah. Yeah. And the numbers are staggering when you compare them with numbers from before the virus. So, for example, there's data from a really similar study in 2014. And both of these studies were screening questions about experiencing depression and mood, questions like the one we just use as an example. So in 2014, Americans reported it was about 25 percent um, of folks and 25 percent of the time um, they were reporting depression. And last spring, so the spring that just happened, right, it was 50 percent. So it doubled. Wow. Wow. That really is a jump. Um, You know, and that might not be a clinical uh, diagnosis of depression, which Mm -hmm. only about five to seven percent of the population experience clinical depression. But definitely we're experiencing situational depression in this time. Absolutely. And, you know, now basically everything I'm reading and I'm sure a lot of folks are reading that, yeah, it's between one third and one half of people that right now they're experiencing some sort of symptoms of depression. So it's really important to collect this data to, so that we know how to to help the people in our community, you know, and this information helps us understand things like drug use and suicide and, mm-hmm. and paints the complete story of what's happening with people. And I think a lot of times... Um, you know, when especially focusing on the pandemic, we're really focusing on what's happening mm-hmm. physically and economically. Um, and it's important to include the mental health piece yeah. as well and the impact yeah. of that. Yep. 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say it's definitely a huge side effect of what's going on now. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So depression, Uh. Martin, am I going to say his name right? Martin Seligman? Yeah, that looks right to me. But <laughs> I always get the names wrong on the show. So, yeah, just well, we're going to go with that. <laughs> so he called depression, he referred to, he was an American, uh, is an American psychologist and an author author of uh, several self-help books and he calls uh depression the common cold in psychology oh yeah right really we're all like gonna that. catch it at some mm-hmm. point yeah, yeah probably especially now right yeah. <laughs> hopefully just that cold but not yeah. that it's <laughs> not any other virus yeah exactly <laughs> but but i think that's important to point out because all of us are going to experience depression at some point in our mm-hmm. lives and it's not necessarily clinical depression but we are all going to experience grief and loss and mm-hmm. so there will be situational depression at some point in our lives, and I think it's important to normalize that so that people don't feel shame yep. when they're feeling down, especially right now. Yeah, and you know, getting therapy, it, right, is really important. And even if it has to be just like short-term therapy, right? Mm-hmm. But getting through the situational depression. And one other thing is, you know, it's touching just about everyone right now. And for me, what's really scary is how it's really impacting our younger people. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so it's interesting what what teens and uh, young adults are going through right now because it is such an uncertain time. Mm -hmm. And we were, you know, really in in every aspect. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's just more saying that we're watching the world around us and them getting more and more feeling more and more unstable. Right. So the economic climate, climate, the job market, the opportunities and just everyday life. It's not a happy picture right now. They look at their future and how can they really feel good about what's out there? So, yeah, I really I think a lot about how children are experiencing this. Um, They're kind of calling the younger generation the pandemic uh, or COVID generation right now because they're growing up in this. And this is kind of their lens for the world right now. And it looks very unstable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting. So when we were talking about this show, I was thinking about my experience at that age. And I am of the Gen X generation. And so I was thinking back to the 90s when I was a teenager and young adult, and I don't really remember anything that felt that uncertain to me. Of Mm -hmm. course, I had the angst of a normal 90s teenager who was listening to grunge. and Were you dressed in all neon all the time? (laughs) (laughs) No, I was wearing a big flannel shirt. Oh, okay. Okay, got it. Yeah, so other style It was a Seattle grunge scene was (laughs) my look. We spent a lot of time getting ready, but we were wearing these. Yes. Well, you have to pick the right flannel. You have to get the right flannel, and you got to get your hair just right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, and I remember that there were were wars during those times and riots and economic downturns and health. Mm -hmm crisis, but not anything on this level. Um, And, you know, the other difference, I think, for my generation was that we didn't have as much access to information. So, you know, I didn't have social media or a constant news cell phone, right? Yeah, I didn't didn't have Internet access. So I had very limited (laughs) access to information, which I think in a lot of ways was easier for me. I mean, I don't think you know, again, I had the normal teenage angst, but it was all related to what was going on in my immediate community, my little world in Everett, Washington. There wasn't, yeah. you know, I wasn't aware. I was aware of things going on outside of that, but but it didn't have the impact that I think that it has on people today. There wasn't such a focus on 
really like the fear that's that's mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. We're just flooded with information now. And while, you know, that's really helpful and we have access to internet now, um, the social media aspect and, you know, news feeds with all the, you know, news on them and people reacting and, you know, having differing opinions. So what was it like for you? You're a little bit younger than me, Michelle. So what was it just like for a you? touch? Um, but yeah, I'm a millennial and, you know, we have really high expectations for ourselves, but we have also seen a lot of the world at a younger age than folks um, right now. So, you know, kids all over the country just went through graduation and we saw signs in our neighborhoods and all the news stories of how schools are trying to adapt um, to that new digital experience. So, you know, how does that feel for our younger generation? And, you know, we're supposed to be so excited and you're going to chase your dreams and instead you're trying to really, you know, disconnect from, we're having to disconnect from our peers right now in our communities. And I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, you know, oh, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to meet all these people and I'm going to move into a dorm. And, when I graduated from undergrad um, in 2006, um, we were headed into a recession actually at that time, right? Mm-hmm. 2008 especially mm-hmm. was really hard. So it was hard for me to find a job in my field. Uh, I originally did marketing um, and fundraising, and it almost felt like, oh, gosh, my degree has less worth. And I'm sure a lot of people feel that even more now. I just graduated. What am I going to do with this degree? I can't get a job. Right. Yeah. I also had that feeling having gotten a degree in English literature as my bachelor's. <laughs> so we both what am I changed do? fields. <laughs> what am I going to do with yeah, this? Yeah. I actually use my writing skills quite a bit now. But yeah. So, yeah, it is. It's definitely, it can feel very frustrating. And I have, you know, my clients who's, uh, I mostly work with adults, but I do work occasionally with teenagers um, who, you know, they didn't get to go to their proms. They didn't get to mm-hmm. go through graduation. But I was talking to a client the other day who told me about an experience she actually created for her daughter where she created a prom for her and her boyfriend at their at their home and it was like just such a special experience and so I was you know the idea that there are alternatives I think is really important Mm -hmm. yes we are grieving the loss of normalcy in our lives and that is triggering depression and anxiety but there are things that we can do to to work within this new normal. Mm-hmm. And we're going to so, talk about this. Yes, soon. we are. So we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, I want we're going to talk about some things that maybe are a little bit more fun. Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> Stay tuned. You're listening to Holding Ground on KKNW. Alternative Talk 1150 is your sports organization's safe bet when it comes to airing your team's games. Our players are all seasoned professionals when it comes to sports programming. Imagine your games being heard on local radio. Your team deserves the MVP treatment. Call 425-653-1150 today to learn how affordable and fun it is to broadcast your games on the radio. Call 425-653-1150 and make your next season something special. That's 425-653-1150. Thanks for tuning in to our brand new show, Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, the co-host of Holding Ground, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Our passion, our one big thing in life, above and beyond love, relationships, trauma, addiction, and healing, our specialty is helping others. Every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. Organic, free range, and fresh daily. Alternative Talk 1150.
Welcome back to Holding Ground. Today we're talking about the fact that everyone and their uncle is depressed. But Laura, you kind of want me to talk about something more upbeat, so let's do that. So, yes, I mean, can you blame me? There is a lot of things to be depressed about, but there's also a lot of things that have been interesting about this time. So we're going to focus our attention there for the for a little bit. Yeah, totally makes sense. And check this out. So talking about meme culture, right? Like out of nowhere, it's like these this new art form, like a digital cartoon or something. I wish I kind of at least grew up on those, right? But I personally love to escape and laugh and, you know, with the help of these memes. And every day I actually saw one um, that <laughs> this really cr- made me crack up. Um, so, you know, it will be interesting when kids in school 20 years from now will be writing papers about how memes helped people <laughs> through COVID. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, while, uh, you know, back to the coronavirus stuck in the States, right? In January, to be exact, a paper titled Exploratory Study on the Role of Emotion, Regulation, and Perceived Balance, Humor, and Beneficial Use of depression, um, Depressive Internet Memes um, was published. So that's definitely a m- mouthful. That is so interesting <laughs> that that is actually being studied now. And I know that both you and I love a good psychology meme. Yes. yes. Yeah. We sometimes post those yes. on our <laughs> social media. Yeah. Yeah. So follow us on Holding Ground. <laughs> yeah. Holding Ground Talk Radio, Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Yeah. So, you know, essentially this paper suggests that we like humor, right? And we need that right now. And even the cheeky kind that we get, you know, when people Photoshop an image from The Simpsons and put it on Facebook, even that kind of is helpful. But, you know, the real point here is that sometimes, you know, helping through depression, we prefer memes that relate to experiences and we can connect in that way. And that makes sense, right? We want to be understood. Yeah. So I was thinking about this with memes and the memes that I thought were funny during COVID. And um, the thing I... that I think we connect through memes because it makes us feel understood. Yeah. So some of the memes that I thought were funny were, again, going back to being a Gen Xer, were some of the memes that were made reference to like Gen X, we've got this, you know, this generation of latchkey kids that were oh, possibly yes, raised by their TV key. set. Like, we know how to be home alone. <laughs> we can do this. Yeah. So it kind of gives you this sense of like community and like, you know, mm-hmm. it's funny because it's true, even if it's dark a little bit. Yeah, that um, guileless humor, right? Yeah. yeah. But it makes you feel this sense of connection through with people that, you know, you don't even know. You know, mm-hmm. another one that I thought was funny that I actually posted on my own Facebook is uh, being from Seattle. You know, we're not known for being the friendliest city in the United States. <laughs> and there was a meme that was like, Seattle's ability to isolate and shun is now working in its benefit. Yes. COVID-19 meet the Seattle freeze. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And similar ones to that, right? Like introverts, right? It's finally our time. Yes. We get to be separate from people and we can kind of stay home and stay under blankets. So yeah, I really kind of related to that one. I was yeah, thinking, yeah. And it, <laughs> it helps you feel connected, you know, and even for or, uh, and I, I know both you and I identify as being introverts, but uh, for the extroverts, there were some funny mm-hmm. memes out there, too, that, you know, when when this ends, you know, about giving each other hugs. And and so the yeah. sense of connection that we can have just by seeing a little picture and saying posted on social media is very interesting. Yeah. I mean, humor is definitely a thing. So 
Um, if we get anywhere else on this topic today, at least get this. Humor works. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be a meme maker. I mean, all of those people who make memes, I have no idea how to do that. I think I have <laughs> a concept and understanding, but I've definitely not made my own. But, you know, we can sure collect our favorites and share them. And mindfully, of course, right? Because we can dig out our favorite dark comedies and cynical sitcoms. Yes, yeah, and so that's not diminishing what is happening, um, but at the same time, it it can be helpful to try to see humor in difficult mm-hmm. situations. I think, you know, that laughter is the best medicine sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And, you know, it can sometimes be a disservice to all of us when we don't talk about depression and anxiety seriously. So we can act as if we can laugh in that way. So for many people who suffer from a certain kind of depression, binge watching the office isn't really going to move that needle too much. Yeah, memes are not going to take the place uh, if you needed medication or therapy. therapy. They'll come to see us. Yeah. But. But yes, but it is sometimes good to try to find a place where we, we can laugh. But we don't want to diminish somebody's experience if they are dealing with a, a serious depression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And a lot of people are right now. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So I thought that, um, so you know Lori Gottlieb. She mm-hmm. is a therapist, a celebrity therapist, and she wrote a book, the book Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, which is a fantastic mm-hmm. book. But she also mm-hmm. writes a column. And she wrote in and asked herself a question in her column, which I thought was kind of funny, um, asking herself for advice, which is, you know, it's actually kind of a great therapeutic Mm -hmm. tool. I sometimes tell my clients to do this. Like, well, if you were if your friend was struggling with this issue, what would you tell them? Yes, exactly. And, you know, that's a good thing to focus on, too, is that, you know, we're therapists and, you know, we can you know, sometimes offer advice to clients. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember for ourselves that own advice too. Yes, which is very (laughs) hard. It's very difficult to see your own stuff when you're living in your own emotional experience. So Mm -hmm. sometimes you need that outside perspective. But if you imagine that you're talking to a friend, you can sometimes kind of step into that role and give yourself some solid advice. So this is what Lori Gottlieb did. Um, And she was talking about how this virus is really compounding the grief and loss that people are experiencing, you know, the normal grief and loss that we have in times where we're not dealing with a global pandemic and how it's intensifying those experiences. And that that is part of the reason why the, these numbers for depression are you know, what was it, doubling? It was double. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, despite being in a pandemic, people have suffered with depression and anxiety for a long time. So that's something we also have to focus on. While there's situational depression, people have been struggling this with this for a long time. So what did Dr. Uh, Gob- Gottlieb? <laughs> Got- what? Lori Gottlieb. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. Uh, there you go again. Um, <laughs> what did she write back to herself in the column? What, what kind of advice did she give so her, herself? Her father had passed away, and so mm. she said um, they couldn't take my pain, or excuse me, they couldn't take away my pain, but they sat with me in my loss in a way that said, I see you, I hear you, I'm with you. This is exactly what we need in grief and what we can do for one another now more than ever. Yeah, I think that's really important because a lot of times people don't know how to support each other through grief. Um, so, again, it's that witnessing it. It's sitting there um, with each other mm-hmm. and really just, you know, sharing that journey as much as we can. And I think acknowledging it and not having to fix it. So a lot of 
my clients have been saying things like, well, I shouldn't feel bad in this experience because other people have it worse. You know, mm-hmm. at least I didn't mm-hmm. lose my job. At least no one in my family has gotten sick. And and while that is true, you can still be with the experience of grief, mm-hmm. even if your situation isn't as bad as as somebody else's. And you can also empathize with somebody who is experiencing maybe more of an intense loss Mm-hmm. during this time but you don't have to you don't have to fix it it's still okay but it's still okay and helpful and beneficial to acknowledge it yeah yeah, yeah. and I think that's really important a lot of times people feel like oh I didn't have it really bad right you know this catastrophic thing didn't happen to me um, and this also relates to trauma as well a lot of people think oh it wasn't as bad as other people so I'm not going to go to therapy I'm not going to try to work on this because at least it wasn't bad as bad as someone else but the reality is is if you're suffering in some way don't try to compare it and minimize it mm-hmm. to other people in their experience yeah because that isn't going to help you or or even the people who have had maybe what are considered greater losses, it doesn't really help them either. So I think there's the idea that sometimes that we don't want to talk about our feelings because we don't want to open that floodgate. We don't mm-hmm. want that to intensify the experience. But we actually, as we always tell people in therapy, have to feel our feelings for them to be able to pass and move, move exactly. through us. And so avoiding them, not talking about them, minimizing them and saying, oh, other people have it worse – is actually doesn't help us uh, reduce depressive symptoms. It actually increases them. Yeah, because we're putting it away, and it goes somewhere. So it still comes out in certain ways. And, yeah, sitting with your emotions, acknowledging what's going on, letting them, you know, acknowledge them, watching them pass, right, Mm -hmm. and just, you know, sitting with that and experiencing them. And letting them be okay. I mean, Mm -hmm. part of the human experience is experiencing negative emotion. And sometimes we want to say, you know, again, like not wanting to admit we're depressed. We want to say, I shouldn't be feeling this way. I should Mm -hmm. only be positive all the time. And while I am all for positive, focusing on positive things and positive thinking, uh, we don't want to use that as a way to avoid negative emotion because it's just not an option. I wish it was, but it isn't. Yeah. Yeah. So Laura, if you were depressed, right? Uh, advice like oh just cheer up or snap out of it or you know do something really fun and you'll be fine yeah it's not that bad and I think our society puts a lot of pressure and you know the way you know certain generations experience mental health it's that you have to find the inner strength you have to be strong you need to get past this and you know again if we could do that on our own we wouldn't need assistance from outside sources well and we've we've seen too i mean and all the research shows that that isn't effective Mm -hmm. it's not an effective way of coping and you're talking about earlier generations you know i think about like my grandparents uh generation world war ii era mm-hmm. uh, it was very much the idea was you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps yep. and you just move move forward and move uh-huh. on um and you know we i even saw my own family my my grandfather who was a world war ii vet who i think suffered from ptsd mm-hmm. um which resulted in suffering from alcoholism a, a great part of his life that's the perfect example you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps and compartmentalize major trauma is not an effective strategy. Right. Yeah. Because why did he have to drink, right? Why did right. he go there? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so it's important to talk about our feelings. And I this here um, is not a blatant plug for therapy, but a good reason why you should go to therapy is mm-hmm. that you're, sometimes your friends and family can't really do that for you. Mm-hmm. So, and even for myself as a therapist, sometimes it's very difficult for me to hold space for somebody who's struggling in my family or a close friend because 
their pain is my pain. If I see someone in my family really struggling, it it has an emotional impact on me. And so I can't really be just an unbiased person that can can hold space for them. Sometimes I can, but typically no. So that is where going to a therapist can be really helpful is that they can be there with you and help you process your emotions without actually going into it with you. Yeah, and that's a really good point about our family and our friends that they can give us advice. They can support us, but really the tools that you need, they might not even know what those are, and we can get those from therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and relying on folks that maybe don't have the same background, um, you know, definitely you know, rely on your family for support and humor and that sort of thing, but sometimes that's not all we need. Well, and even if your mom is a therapist, she probably can't be your therapist because your pain is going to be her pain and it's going to be hard to be able to to be that unbiased Mm -hmm. presence. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, at least in, you know, my circle, oh, you're a therapist, so you can help me through this. And, you know, I'm, I'm willing to give advice and tools, but also, yeah, we do that all day, right? And so we can't be our friend's therapist, unfortunately. We can't be our mom's therapist. <laughs> you definitely you know, as can't much as be we your mom's be. therapist. No, 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 no exactly. <laughs> so um, one of the things that the, the pandemic has been compared to quite a bit is 9-11, because that yeah. was another experience where we had collective grief and um and just that sense of we you know as a nation that maybe we're not as safe as we Mm -hmm. thought they were so there's this trauma that that comes with that um and so there's a therapist and writer that I like her name is Claire Bidwell Smith and she has um some really important books on grief and loss and she was quoted in the Atlantic with uh, a prediction that she made and she says I think there will be a massive collective mourning when we've emerged from this. Yeah. For us as a culture, Smith says, while while what's happening is heartbreaking and we haven't been able to ritualize or memorialize it, we will have to come back to it. Yeah, yeah. And um, I like the point about 9-11 because that was one of those experiences of, oh, my gosh, what's happening? Mm-hmm. Are we safe? I remember watching it on TV. I was a senior in high school and just that – oh my gosh, is something else going to, you know, get attacked or ruined? And just that sense of uncertainty and especially after, you know, it was, is this going to happen again? Mm -hmm. Are, you know, like you said, are we safe? Is Mm -hmm. this something that, you know, we just, that's a new reality that a lot of us had to get used to at that time as well. And a lot of people who who were already living with that sense of uncertainty, people all over the world that live in, uh, war zones or people that live yeah. in in different areas um, where their safety is questionable a lot of times. Yeah. But I think a lot of us had never had that experience mm-hmm. before. Yeah. 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 Very good point. So, yeah, I think Claire really made a good point that, you know, in, in our desire to get back to normal, we really um, are not dealing with the here and now. And that's the important thing that we're trying to focus on right now. Yeah. Is how do we, in, in these circumstances, how can we deal with what's what's happening instead of just compartmentalizing it, which mm-hmm. is really important. Mm-hmm. And I think in some, you know, in some ways we we have to process things as they come. And so we might not be able to effectively process everything that's happening all at once. But you want to be able to stay, be aware of what of what is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is because it has such an impact on all of our experience, you know, whether that's work or in our relationships and And Claire also has this to say. She says, grief and loss can also cause us 
to develop anxious or avoidant tendencies in our relationships, making us fearful about opening up and being truly vulnerable with the people that we love. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that we're seeing right now quite a bit mm-hmm. in couples therapy is that this stress is really taking a toll on relationships and that sometimes couples aren't really able to be there for each other because they're processing their own grief and depression and anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Individually, uh, we have to remember in couples, we're two individuals. We might be going through, you know, a similar different experience with this. And I like that you talked about um, the collective mourning kind of leading to anxiety. Um, Unfortunately, I forget the name of the book, but um, it it touched on one of the extra stages of grief is anxiety Mm -hmm. and acknowledging what comes up, you know, with our mental health in that way when we're experiencing grief. Yeah. So much for keeping this upbeat, Laura, but okay, so what's our plan? How do we help folks help themselves and stay on track? Well, as we've said before, you can come and see us. Our doors are open. <laughs> Everything has been sanitized, or we can meet you online via telehealth. Yep, telehealth. yep absolutely. So, but, but seriously, we're going to talk more in the next segment about some strategies um, of, of what you can do to, to practice uh, things that will keep your mental health in, in good shape, and we will do that in, after the break. So, again, you are listening to Holding Ground on KKNW. Our veterans risked it all to protect our freedom. One of the best ways to say thank you is to volunteer to support them. At a time in history where kindness is a virtue, volunteering means a lot. For over 47 years, Help Heal Veterans, a not-for-profit organization with the support of citizens like you, have delivered therapy kits to veterans who need them. To volunteer or learn more, visit HealVets.org. That's HealVets.org. Thanks for tuning in to our brand new show, Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, the co-host of Holding Ground, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Our passion, our one big thing in life, above and beyond love, relationships, trauma, addiction, and healing, our specialty is helping others. Every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. On the path to good health and well-being, Alternative Talk 1150 is the station for you. Welcome back to Holding Ground, everybody. Um, You can find us on social media. So we have a lot of other fun posts on social media, um, like you're talking about maybe some memes and some fun (laughs) images. So you can find us on social media on Instagram. So um, the Instagram account for Holding Ground is Holding Ground Talk Radio, and you can also find more fun uh, mental health posts on our Instagram, Anchor Light Therapy, and also you can find us on Facebook at Holding Ground and Anchor Light Therapy Collective. We're just all over the place here, so check it out. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we said in the last segment, we're going to talk about some strategies of how do we deal with depression during a depressing time. What are some ways that we can become and this is the buzzword that we're, everyone is talking about, resilient. Mm-hmm. Resilient to what is happening around us. And there's so many cool people who are talking about resiliency. Um, and the two that come to mind for me right now are Brene Brown, of course, who talks about vulnerability and shame mm-hmm. and has done all this research on shame and how you can become resilient to shame. I was listening to her podcast on the drive-in, which is yes. Fantastic. She's got the best advice. So I would recommend after you listen to Holding Ground, you might want to listen to Brene's uh, podcast. But so she talks about how we are able to build resiliency 
in difficult times. Mm -hmm. And one of those things is to talk about your feelings, to accept what is happening, to instead of trying to avoid it and and just power through, which some of us are often inclined to do, to really name what it is that you're experiencing right now. Yeah, and I think that's an important distinction there is resiliency is not just pull up your bootstraps, let's yeah. deal with this. It's it's how you survive through things like this and what your strength is in terms of being able to manage this. And yeah, talking about our feelings um, and really just being in touch with what's going on for us. Um, you know, it's really hard, but we need to uh, acknowledge that. So I think a lot of people when, you know, when this gets better, um, are going to have a lot more resiliency instilled in them. Yes, that is, and that's in looking for something positive, that will probably be the outcome for many people of this experience is that they're learning how to live with uncertainty, Mm -hmm. which even outside of pandemic times is something that we're always dealing with. Mm -hmm. And what I have noticed doing therapy over the last 10 years with people is that the two things that we hate as human beings are uncertainty and disappointment. Mm-hmm. And we will do everything that we possibly can to avoid those things. And at the same time, we absolutely can't avoid them. So it's mm-hmm. more effective to learn how to work through them. Mm-hmm. So, Michelle, when you work with clients, are there any traits that you see, like uh, the people that you notice can really, are that are resilient, that are able to move through issues effectively? Are there any traits that you notice about them? Maybe anything that they have in common characteristics? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So getting through things that they've gotten through in the past and being able to resource from that. So it's an important question to ask clients, okay, what what got you through other experiences? Where is your strength in that? And that's a lot of um, what comes up in session is that clients have some sort of strength from the past that they're able to tap into and use that same strength, the tools that they got through, you know, maybe another adverse experience and the resiliency from that. Um, But a lot of traits that I'm also seeing is um, mainly that lack of motivation because, again, people are really depressed and not knowing where to start. And so they kind of get frozen in that. So, again, being able to relate back to past experiences, how did you get through, you know, whatever it was before that was you were really struggling with. Yeah. Yeah. I use that a lot with people who are are dating or looking for relationships and they have this belief like I can't handle another heartbreak and mm-hmm. it's like, well, you don't want another heartbreak. You don't want to feel that disappointment at the same time. How many times have you gone through it before? A lot of my clients are in their 40s and 50s, so they've gone through it at, you know, at least mm-hmm. a handful of times and every time they've survived it. So sometimes when we go back and look at, okay, well that it wasn't a pleasant experience. I was able to have it. I did move through it. I didn't die. I can't. Mm-hmm. And so I can be vulnerable to having another experience because I I know I can survive it. I've done it before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, drawing on your past right. skills, seeing and acknowledging how resilient you actually are. I think sometimes it's also easy to get into self-pity. Yeah. This is this is so awful. I can't believe this is happening to me. Mm-hmm. Nobody else can understand how terrible of an experience I'm having <laughs> when in reality that, you know, is probably not true. Mm-hmm. We have a lot more in mm-hmm. common with our life experiences mm-hmm. than we do differences. So there's a good chance other people have had that experience before. And there's a good chance you've had that experience before and you've actually been able to move through it. 
me or yeah, <laughs> yeah. well i mean i think you <laughs> well yes. it's that past you know that past learning again and with breakups you know initially we could just fall apart and yeah i can't go through this again who am i after this and what do we learn what school or what tools do we get from that breakup and you know that's resiliency in that way yeah but this experience that we're having right now is an experience that actually none of us have ever had and so right. we're having to to develop coping skills to address something that we're unfamiliar with. But at the same time, I you can probably look at some past experiences that you've had and 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 discover that you had effective coping during those times and apply that even yes. to this time that is totally exactly. foreign to us. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think when we for resiliency, so definitely people who are able to self-reflect and find, you know, where they've been resilient before, that's that's a trait of people who are able to bounce back a little bit easier. Um, I think people who also can accept that where they're at, people who aren't resisting it, mm-hmm. some can be more resilient, knowing that this is this moment maybe is a difficult moment, but it won't always be this way. And so in accepting that this is what's happening right now, they're able to move through it a little more effectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because what's getting a lot of people stuck right now is that sense of I don't have control. So I need mm-hmm. to figure this out. So I have more control and that acceptance piece. We don't have control right now, and we've yeah. talked about that on past episodes, and yeah. So Angela Duckworth, mm-hmm. um, she is a MacArthur genius and a University of Pennsylvania psychologist, and her book is called Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. And her topic is actually, a, you know, she writes about grit in terms of education. Mm-hmm. And what she looked at in her research was that the, the, the students that were really successful were not necessarily the most intelligent mm-hmm. students that did the best on standardized tests. They weren't necessarily the students that had more privilege or advantages. They were the, the people that really succeed are the people that have what she calls grit, that they have a genuine passion for whatever is happening and perseverance to move forward. So the way she said it in her TED Talk is they approach life as a marathon, not a sprint. That that as obstacle comes up, uh, as obstacles come up, the people who really persevere are the ones who expect that there will be obstacles, and that that actually doesn't deter them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I like that you touched on standardized testing, and you know we all have to do that to get into school, and really standardized testing. Just a side note on how I feel about this, but um, it doesn't measure really what we have learned. It's okay. I'm gonna memorize these terms. I'm gonna memorize this thing from the book, and really what we learn from and a better way of testing ourselves is okay. How do you apply this to experiences? How do you apply this to the real world? So that's just kind of my side note on that. But well, and that is exactly <laughs> what Angela Duckworth has to say. She says that you know she talks about how people get grit and she has an interview where she talks about this saying essentially that you can't get grit this passion and perseverance by reading a book and she instead lays it out that grit is actually a process of metacognition Mm -hmm. that it's a process of knowing yourself your thought processes tracking how you think Mm -hmm. yeah so I think what you're saying is that we need to, you know, cultivate mega, uh, meta, metacognitive awareness. So now for ourselves, we need to talk about that with others. And we need to be aware that friends and family that may not know about these concepts and these ideas, they may not be well-versed in mental health and idea of those ideas at all. So drawing back on, again, 
you know, leaning on our family and friends, great, talk it through with them, seek support. Um, but, you know, these extra tools that we're talking about today yes. are essential. Yes. So this is what she has to say. This is what Angela Duckworth has to say about this. People who have some metacognitive understanding of themselves, they can look at themselves and honestly understand what they're doing and what they're not doing will eventually heal themselves. Mm -hmm. Eventually, they will mediate their weakness and raise their strengths. People who have no self-awareness, they're the ones you really worry about. They may be okay on certain dimensions, but they're never going to grow. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm a big fan of metacognitive awareness. Mm -hmm. And so this is why we don't want to diminish our feelings. We want to be able to understand our internal process so mm -hmm. that we can grow and heal, not just pretend that everything's okay all the time. Right, yeah. right, exactly. And <laughs> I actually have a younger sister. Uh, she's actually a teenager, and mm -hmm. we were just talking about the self-awareness last night. Um, she has some friends where she's like, oh, they just – they're not, they don't have the insight. And she has a couple friends and she's like, oh my God, they're so self-aware, just like I am. And, you know, that really helps. And like you're saying, tapping into, you know, your emotions, but also how you're reacting to the things and what your external expression are to things, what your internal expression and feelings of emotions are, and just knowing that about yourself and how you enter the world with that self-awareness. And so your sister being, she's 17, right? She's 17, yeah. yeah. So just a little bit of an age difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that you said she, for her age, has very impressive coping skills and mm -hmm. is very self-aware, mm -hmm. um, or maybe not even for her age, just as for a human being. Yeah. Um, but what do you notice? That, how is she handling this whole experience? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, and first of all, um, I think we get a lot of self-awareness from when we do go through hard times. And she... Um, unfortunately had a little bit, you know, more rough childhood. Um, and so drawing that self-awareness from hard times, that resiliency, I talk to her about that all the time. And, you know, we kind of talk about genetically, we both kind of have that going on. But yeah, from her perspective, um, you know, she was really at a loss at first from not being in school and she actually has a boyfriend and, you know, she was like, oh, over summer break, we're not going to see each other for two yeah. and a half months. And now it's been this four month period where, they haven't been able to hang out, but she's really just adjusting and working on herself. She's teaching herself Spanish. She goes for runs every day. I mean, I look at her and I'm like, you you inspire me because I'm not doing that stuff, <laughs> you know, but she's really making the best of her time. So she's adapting. She's adapting. The, and yeah. The, yeah, that's a great word. How we adapt to things is really where we also can draw that resiliency from. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And that being, being self-aware that... <clears throat> We are supposed to experience ob obstacles, and when we do have hard times, like you said, that those are actually thing; those are experiences that we that we can grow from, and that if you can see them in that way, it's easier to to move through current circumstances. Yes, exactly. You know, we talked about in a previous episode acceptance that when we're saying something is happening that should not be happening, we can't really process it. So mm -hmm. if I'm living in a time where I'm being restricted by a pandemic and I'm mad and I say this shouldn't be happening. It's okay to honor those feelings. But at the same time, if I get stuck there, mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to move forward. So there's a lot more in saying, okay, well, this is a new normal and it's okay for me to grieve the loss of what was normal before. But at the same time, look at what is there for me in this, in this experience because mm -hmm. there's also something here too. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and, uh, you know, again, that acceptance piece is not having to be happy about what's going on. You know, we don't have to agree with certain things that are going on, but just, you know, accepting them, right? We can't change these things, so why get stuck there, um, and how are we building that resiliency? Yes, exactly. So, Laura, I think a great um, finale to the show today is kind of our recipe on how to deal with this. Um, So, yeah, what are our ingredients that we're going to be mixing together here? So we looked at what the top five traits were in people who are able to cultivate resiliency. And so the first one that we've mentioned is allowing for negative emotion, allowing for grief and depression and anxiety. And that doesn't mean that we want to stay stuck in that place. But we also don't want to try to avoid it or compartmentalize it or pretend that it isn't happening, isn't happening just because that isn't effective. And so you know, the more practiced we are at tolerating negative emotion, the easier it is to weather the storms that are around us. It doesn't, you know, you don't have to be strong necessarily. I think sometimes we define strength as as being avoidant and mm-hmm. that isn't, it's actually stronger to be able to go into those emotions so you can move through them. And so just making it okay that there is lo- a sense of grief and loss right now. Yeah, that first step is acknowledging, okay, this is what's going on for me, you know, maybe some ways that maybe I can cope with, you know, cope with it myself, but really how can I gain tools that maybe we can offer in therapy? Yes. And so then the second thing that is important in managing depression during this time and is important in cultivating resiliency is something that you just mentioned. And that is being able to reflect on past experiences and see and acknowledge where you have good coping skills, where you have been strong before. Recognize, you know, sometimes, like I've said, it's easy to get into the self-pity mode and say, like, I can't do this. This is too hard. It's harder than anyone else has ever experienced. But most of the time when we can look back at our past experiences, we can see how we've effectively come through certain situations. Because no one's had a perfect life. We've all had a challenging time in the past. And again, not like this, but drawing on those experiences a little bit. How did I get through that one thing? Mm -hmm. How can I apply this to where I'm at today? Yeah. And even if the experience that you're having right now is a new experience, Mm -hmm. That's it. There's still probably something from the past that you can look at, look yep. at that can help you mm-hmm. just identify where you already are resilient. I think sometimes we are not as we don't realize how strong we actually are. So that is a good way to do that. Reflecting on the past. Um, three, connect with your community. And during this time, that is really important because we are collectively having the same experience. So mm-hmm. that's why these memes have been so important during this time is yeah. it allows us to connect and mm-hmm. share what our experience is and realize that other people are having the same experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and that community piece, of course, is really important. And community right now can extend to you know a lot of the social change that's going on. Where can we find community within that where can I find something that I can focus on and help with? What what can I do for my part in this? Um, so that's another angle of the community piece. And, you know, having experiences with others that, you know, maybe you haven't met yet, 
um, you don't know, but being able to kind of say, oh, yeah, I've been through that, too. Someone else has been through this. Okay, it's not just me. I'm not the only one that's depressed right now. Other people are feeling this way. And when we feel like we have community, it makes it a lot easier knowing, okay, other people are experiencing this, too. This is not just my internal and external experience. Yes. And because we are isolated a little bit more right now, um, it's been harder to have that sense of community. And I know, you know, even just connecting with people online is as important as that is. Some people feel that disconnect and they, they want to, you know, initially when this all happened, everybody was doing Zoom happy hours and, and connecting in that <laughs> so way. So sick of Zoom yeah. at this point. <laughs> yeah. No, um, everyone is. But we offer telehealth. Yeah. We love it. Yeah. Still, but yeah. <laughs> it's a, it, it gets the job done, right? But it but there's a fatigue around being online and there's kind mm-hmm. of, I think, a desire to pull back. And right now when, you, when you're feeling that shutting down, you actually really want to move forward and be able to, to make an intentional effort to connect mm-hmm. even more. And when we're depressed, we don't really feel like connecting with other people. It feels like exhausting. You feel mm-hmm. like maybe your emotions are a burden. Mm-hmm. And your community is not going to take on the role as your therapist, but you still need to have social interaction and social connection. And it can actually be quite healing mm-hmm. to have that conversation with a friend that's like, yeah, I'm sick of being on Zoom too. This sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and when you and I grew up, right, there mm-hmm. wasn't that internet. I kind of had, you know, the AOL dial-up mm-hmm. and, you know, <laughs> the sound that goes along with it. Right. And so if this happened back when we were growing up, I think, you know, at least we have that gratitude now and the experience of, okay, we do have all these ways of connecting. Right. Yeah. I can Snapchat with my sister all day long. We can do Zoom or FaceTime and um, just be able to text and all these things that, you know, I didn't have a cell phone until I was <laughs> a freshman in college. And so there wasn't that opportunity to connect as much. And I think texting at that time was like $1 a text or something <laughs> crazy. So, um, you know, we, we do have those experiences, social media. So that community piece can come from that, right? So we talk sometimes about shutting down your social media, don't have that really anxious, like I have to respond, I have to respond, but also acknowledging that these are ways that we're still being able to connect with each other. Yes, and that is so important right now. And again, this is the new normal, right? So mm-hmm. we, we can grieve the loss that we don't get to connect in the same ways that we were before, but it still is important to connect. And we do have, like you said, we have access to, to technology that if this had happened in the 90s, I mean, I'd just be sitting at home with my parents and wouldn't know anything that was going on. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, Michelle, what do you have to add to that, this recipe for dealing with depression in in difficult times? What else do you think we can tell our listeners to do? So, number four, we've definitely never talked about on the show, and that's (laughs) accepting what is happening. Again, that that acceptance piece. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, that we can't change what's happening right now. So we have to learn how to live within these new circumstances. How to adapt, right? Yep. We were talking about that before. And that's another part of resiliency is, you know, oh, you can adapt to any situation. And, you know, really, if we can all adapt to this right now, whatever else is coming, God forbid it's any worse, right? But we're going to be able to, yeah, have yes. those experiences. Um, and then finally, number five, what number else do five, we need in this depressing times? We need laughter. We yes. need humor. We need to be able to connect in that way. And I think that's really saving a lot of us right now. And we try to laugh on the show a little bit. Um, you know, try to make light of things as much as you can. And yeah. Just enjoy that. Enjoy all the Look at all those memes out there. So radical times call for radical measures, and we do need radical acceptance. We also need a radical sense of humor, maybe, being able to laugh when things aren't all that funny. Um, Some radically hilarious memes, radical resilience, (laughs) radical grit, and radical metacognitions. Did I miss anything? 
No, um, I would recommend watching some of the late night shows. Um, that's <laughs> another way of kind of getting, you know, up to date on some current events, but also being able to laugh at it. So I think that's also really helpful. So just a little plug for our, all our late night stars. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I yeah. agree. So we're out of time, but Holding Ground will be back next Monday at 9 a.m. Until then, remember, you can find us on KKNW 1150 Talk Radio website at anchorlighttherapy.com website and then on all the podcast uh forums so thanks for listening we'll see you next week all right thank you everyone thanks for tuning in to holding ground you can find us here every monday morning at 9 a.m i'm laura richer owner of anchor light therapy collective and i'm michelle mooney a therapist at anchor light therapy collective find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com we'll see you next week